Well, let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us together. And now we pray your blessings on us as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We're obviously not going to have a welcome to each other time. You can just blow kisses on your way out or whatever you want to do. Uh, but uh, we're still bypassing that part of the service. So let's just open God's precious holy word to the Revelation chapter 6. And we're going to be in verses 1 through 8 tonight. The four horsemen of the apocalypse. They used to play for Notre Dame. They died and went to heaven and they're going to come back real angry. Uh, not really. The four horsemen, of course, the first four seals, each seal is depicted by a particular kind of horse with a rider on it. This, in the Revelation 6, begins the tribulation. Seven years of tribulation. It's, it's, pretty, it's my belief that these first four seals give us a quick overview of the first three and a half years. Talk more about that as we get deeper into the Revelation. But the first three and a half years are really rather moderate compared to the last three and a half years, which is called the Great Tribulation. So we have seen how Christ illustrated as a lamb and as a lamb was violently slaughtered, thus paying the price, enabling uh, becoming enabled and worthy, having eternally been worthy, to take the scroll from the hand extended from the throne, uh, the hand of El Elyon, the, 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 the Godhead, the, the, the deity. Uh, there's the scroll, and now he has taken the scroll. And what we're going to see is this. These events are going to begin to happen at a dizzying pace. When at last we get, we start our trip through not just the chapter 6, but on through the following chapters, so much is going to happen to the planet and to the earth dwellers and to the saints who will be on the planet earth uh, during those seven years. So much will be happening, and it's going to happen just whoosh. It's, when it starts, it's not going to stop until all things are done, and the wrath of God has been poured out uh, from, from heaven on high, from the Lord himself. I think we've seen in recent months maybe a few years, how fast the whole world can change just with such quickness and how one set of events can collapse into another set of events and those events all affect everybody in the world. And I'm not just speaking of the virus, but I'm, I'm talking about 
other decisions that are made as well by, by leaders who, certain leaders especially when they make decisions, affect, affect the whole world. And then one right after another. Mankind has never been in a setting where the whole world could just be brought together and one thing would affect everybody. The world has never been this way until the modern era. And we're going to see how, for example, when the two witnesses are killed, the whole world is going to see it. That's not such a stretch for us to think about that. Something can happen right now and we could call it up back there and put it up here on a screen and it in real time it's happening on the other side of the world. We could be sitting here watching it. So the world has never been in a setting that would accommodate the tribulation, the worldwide tribulation, like today's world, like the modern era, ought to tell us something. So when we see these things, I believe what you're going to see is you're going to, you're going to think in your mind, you know, we're just about there now. I think you're going to say and see in your mind, you're going to say in your heart, this could happen before this day is out. These things, of course, the rapture of the church uh, has to occur first. And then, according to Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, he who restrains and that which restrains moved out of the way. And then, then the man of lawlessness, the man of sin, the son of perdition, the Antichrist can be revealed. It's Quite likely that he lives, he's alive today. He's already been born today, probably. I, I, I want to be careful when I say things like that, but in my mind, considering everything uh, and considering the events of the day, it's not such a stretch either to think that this guy is walking around somewhere, rising in the ranks of power somewhere. Gaining the attention of the right people. It's not too, too much to say that that's quite likely a, a possibility today. So then here is the beginning of the tribulation and the general setting in the world that will carry us through in these first eight verses. The first three and a half years. So let's look at it together. Here's the first seal. And I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living beings saying like a voice of thunder, Come. Okay, there are four living beings, there are four seals, and each of the four living beings with a great voice will beckon forth what's about to happen. And I looked, and look, a white horse. And the one sitting on it having a bow and a crown was given to him and he went forth overcoming and that he might conquer. Kai, the Greek word, could be in this, in this text, context, could also be translated so. So it would be 
so that he might conquer. Now, look at the look at the the things that attend to this white horse that goes forth. It's called out. Now, this is judgment coming. Judgment has now started on planet Earth. Come, nothing can stop this white horse. And nothing can stop the one who sits on it from doing what he's going to do. Now, a white horse generally in, in history has always depicted someone of great authority, especially someone who would have just won a great victory. Now, that's the case of the returning Christ in the Revelation 19. He's on a white horse. This is not Christ. This is a counterfeit of Christ, but this is not Christ. Uh, and he thunders forth. You know, the first time he came, he came on a donkey. He came in peace. But here, the rider on a white horse, the white horse, of course, signifies victory. It signifies that the one who rides it is of great importance. So here we have the white horse, and the one sitting on it has a bow, but no arrows. So he's coming without making war early in the, in the first part of the tribulation. Now, he has a crown, and it was given to him. Now let's think about that for just a minute. The crown here is a Stephanos. It is, it is, the, uh, it, it is the, the, the crown that is, that is a, a crown that is given uh, because of achievement, Stephanos. That is not the crown of a true king. The crown of a true king in the Greek language is the diadema, the diadem, the diadema. So he has a crown that is given to him. He's on a white horse. He comes in peace. And because he is important and has risen in the ranks and he has, act, he has recognition. And by that recognition has some kind of, comes forth with some kind of plan of peace, global peace. He is recognized for his skill and ability and those who are around him, through that acknowledgement, give to him this Stephanos. It's not a diadema. It's a Stephanos. So now this, this rider on the white horse is acknowledged at this point as someone of utmost importance who has ushered in peace it, by the genius of man. Now this is man's world, but it is quickly becoming the Lord's world. Of course it's the Lord's, but I mean the administration of the world. Man gives it his best shot. They, they invest all of their hopes in this genius who brings the world together through peace. No other way. So here's what we're, and he went forth overcoming and that he might conquer. The world then surrenders to him 
authority. Tell you about the world that I've, this is something that perhaps we've learned more in the last two or three months than we ever wanted to really acknowledge or admit. Generally speaking, the people of the world would surrender individual rights if corporately the world could just get along. If somehow we could just have peace and individual, reasonable individual prosperity, then we don't care about borders. We don't care about individual rights. We just want everybody to get along. We want everybody to get along economically, socially, culturally, financially, religiously. We just want everybody to get along. I say to you that the vast bulk of the world has that mindset. There are even people in churches who have that mindset. They won't fight on a hill of doctrinal purity that says Christ is the only way. They don't want to bleed on that hill. They just want us all to get along. I'll go my way. Everything's just relevant. I'll just do my thing. You do your business. Let's get along. Let's don't stand for anything. This is the world that comes under the administration of this guy. They want peace. As a matter of fact, if you study it carefully and look at Daniel and look at later portions of the Revelation, you will even see that very wealthy people are even willing to surrender much of their wealth just so that the economic curve can flatten a little bit, so that everybody can get along economically, culturally. There are cultures in this world that practice detestable things. There are cultures in this world in which the morality that is presented by the Ten Commandments is totally flipped upside down. And it's difficult for those people who are of the Bible and who have a biblical, biblical worldview, it's very difficult to see how we could ever get along with people like that. I'm not going to let them teach my children that kind of stuff, try to draw my children into that kind of bizarre culture. But all of that will collapse when the restrainer and the, and the one who restrains and that which restrains when it's taken out of the way, when the salt and the light have been removed and the church has been raptured, there is no depth of degradation to which man will sink. There's no limit to it. And so he spirals downward and downward and downward and they'll get along with everybody just so they can have peace. And I'll tell you, the tribulation will start off in the mind of man. It'll start off pretty good. There'll be world peace. Man, you can fly and go anywhere. You can walk across borders. You can, you can smile and, and, and nod at people who have weird cultures and, 
And all of that's going to be okay because the world is at peace. And there won't be any religious barriers anymore. Oh, there's a God. I read this past week or two where the Lutherans have come out with the Bible and they're praying to Mother God. And, all, and their new Bible that they've printed, all references to Israel in the New Testament have been removed. This is exactly part of what we're talking about here. It's exactly the same thing. He comes in to conquer and overcome with peace. So now with the church out of the way, those pesky Christians gone and out of the way, the first thing that he does according to Daniel is, I'm going to give you my personal take on this, okay? And I'm putting together several passages of scripture that deal with this particular time frame. The Bible teaches us that in my view, somewhere right around the time of the rapture, a coalition of very strong armies, a confederation of armies, encircle and invade Israel for economic purposes, to go and take a spoil, the Bible says. With the intervening hand of God... And three of those, the, the three of them are very easily described. They're, they're very easily seen and described forthrightly in the Bible. Modern terminology would be Iran, Turkey, and Russia. And those three, those three are getting along just famously in Syria right now. It hadn't been seen like that before, but they conspire. They Gog. In, in Magog, Gog is the leader of Magog. Magog is Russia. That's the, that's the most powerful force. And the leader, Gog, which is like, it's a, it's a general term, like president or prime minister, whatever. Gog in the land of Magog thinks an evil thought. And then God Almighty puts hooks in his jaws and draws him against Israel. So when these people come against Israel, they don't have a choice. God moves on them and they move on Israel. God intervenes and five-sixths of their invading forces are destroyed. For the next seven years, Israel will be collecting what's left of their forces and burying their bodies and there will be a great horde of birds there and eating their flesh off their bones. So Israel and much of the confederation also involves certain powerful Arab nations. So the, at that point in time, the power of the Arab will be broken. Israel will remain intact. And the world will marvel because God says, I'm not doing this for your namesake, Israel. I'm doing it for my holy namesake that the world may know that I'm God. So the world takes notice of this. Here comes the prince who is yet to come. He's the Antichrist in the book of Daniel. He runs down there and has a plan. 
and establishes peace with Israel for seven years. And part of the deal is the Arabs who were crushed in this invasion, this failed invasion of Israel, will have lost claim to the Dome of the Rock, which is the Temple Mount. And part of the deal is he gives Israel the, the, the right to take that place over and to rebuild their temple. They already have all of the stuff. You can look this up. They already have all the stuff ready. All, they need a red heifer and they need the land. They need that temple mount. It's theirs. And so they'll go back to making sacrifices. And they'll do that for three and a half years. And we're going to see in the book of the Revelation that at the middle of the three and a half years, the Antichrist, the one who was their savior at the beginning of this thing, you know, Christ said somebody will come in his own name and you'll, you'll accept him. And I've come in the name of heaven and you won't accept me. You kill me. So for the first three and a half years, they are duped into thinking that he is the guy. He's the man. He's the one. And he's gotten them back to doing their sacrifices and their temple worship. And it won't take them long to build that temple. So that to me, now that's me, to me, that is the initiation of the peace plan that goes all around the world. And for a brief period of time, everybody's happy, prosperous, at peace. But it won't last long. Because this peace has come only by the genius of man. And man can only go so far. Man does not own this world. You know, there's another thing that leads us into this here. And that is how people are rushing and doing, saying whatever they have to say, skewing the studies and the researches, whatever, to, to try to convince everybody that we are destroying our planet. Wait till they see what Jesus does to it. You and I understand this is a disposable planet. It's, it's only designed for so much to go so far for so long, and then that's it. And that will be determined by the Lord himself. But man can only think of man. And his genius seeks to claim ownership of the earth for himself. And therefore, he conspires in this crazy plan to make everybody think that the earth is something that we should worship. It all fits in with what this guy does here on the white horse. So he has the plan. My, my guess is that uh, global warming and all that stuff, they'll all buy into this guy's plan. Everybody will buy into it because the church is gone. Those who stand on absolute truth won't be here anymore. The only people who can shine a light in a dark place, they're gone. 
The only people who can preserve society by the teaching and preaching of the word of God, thus being salt in the earth, they're gone. The work of the Holy Spirit that works in the church all around the world, that which restrains, he who restrains, is gone. Raptured up with the church. So there's, this guy just, just waltzes right in. That's the first seal. The tribulation begins with a global peace unknown to man ever before. Have never known this kind of peace and the prosperity that comes with it. But then the Lord breaks the second seal. And when he, and it's supposed to say opened, and when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living being, the second of the four cherubim, saying, come. And here comes another horse. This one is bright red, like he's on fire. And another horse bright red went forth. And to the one sitting on it, to him was granted to take the peace from the earth. Now, who granted it to him? The Lord granted it to him. This was a man-made peace, and it is nothing. Jerusalem can only have peace when the son of David is enthroned there in Jerusalem. That's the only time. That's why, that's why we're told in the Old Testament, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem will never know peace until the Son of God is sitting on that throne in Jerusalem on planet Earth for those thousand years. So it's a false peace. It's false security. You remember Paul wrote to the Thessalonians and he said, they'll, they'll cry peace and safety. And when they do, sudden destruction will come on them. Well, here it is. This horse goes forth to him. The one sitting on it is granted to take the peace from the earth. And they will slay one another. And a great sword was given to him. Now let me call your attention to the word sword right there. Makara. Makara. The word, the word great, megalin, megale, means it's extensive. But to use modern terminology, the makara is a, is a common man's weapon. What this is describing is utter chaos on planet earth they will slay one another who will everybody all over the world they go crazy so if you want to look at it this way back in the old day this word would have meant a common man's dagger it would have meant a common soldier's short sword which was also the same thing as the common man's dagger 
So everybody goes into his closet, gets his AR-15, and starts shooting everybody else. That's about what happens. They go crazy. And people are dying everywhere because the world, from the great peace and prosperity, suddenly collapses into chaos. Where? All over the world. It was granted to him to take the peace from the earth. They slay one another at an expansive sword. Common man's weapon was given to him. So the description is just utter chaos, riots, and civil war. People killing one another all over the world. Why? Because the Lord granted it to the one riding the horse. He gave him the approval, released his hand, and every man went against each other all over the world. All over the world. Nobody's safe. You can't hide marauding gangs of thugs. Nobody can hide. Nobody can do anything. And so the world falls into chaos. That's the second seal. Now we're still in the first three and a half years. These things happen just like this. And so the whole world is utterly flipped upside down. And people are dying everywhere. Takes us to the third seal. And when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living being say, saying, come. And I looked and look, a black horse and the one sitting on it, having a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard something like a voice in the midst of the four living beings. Now, let's go back a chapter and a half. Who is in the midst of the four living beings? Christ. So, this voice says, a canix of wheat for a denarius. Now, that's about a quart. And historians say that a moderate person's diet required about a canix of wheat. A denarius is a day's wage. So, it took, it took a whole day's pay for a little bit of food. For one person. And three canixes of barley for a denarius. Barley was animal fodder. So, when you have no more bread to butter, you just go and buy some kibbles and bits. Animal food. You could get three times as much of that stuff for a day's wage. And do not injure the oil and the wine. I've heard all kinds of interpretations about this. Contextually, it seems to me that it has to do with what is used to treat 
the wheat that it could be palatable and and made, made easier to eat for people. That's what it means to me. So I know some people say, well, it's the oil fields and it's the it's the riches of the of the rich people. And I, just, I don't I don't really see it that way personally. But they're not supposed to injure the oil and the wine. Now, why don't you go back up here? Black horse, the one sitting on it, had a pair of scales in his hands. Now, he's the guy. This is the force, if you will, that measures what everybody's going to get to eat. So there is an authority, no doubt, coming forth from the Antichrist that begins to tell people how much they can get, what they can eat, and how much it's going to cost them. Somebody else starts telling me. So everybody, what happens when everybody's out fighting each other and they're hiding in the forest and one gang of thugs is attacking another gang of thugs and then, and then they're taking their women and children and auctioning them off as slaves and then they go and steal other people's. Here's what's happening. They're not producing anything. So production in the world really begins to slow at this point and food becomes more and more rare and very expensive. It's almost like this pair of scales is like a weapon in the hand of the one who is riding the black horse and the black horse is the horse of famine. So we had brief peace and prosperity which collapsed into worldwide chaos and civil war, which collapsed into worldwide famine and poverty. But the Lord's not done, and we're not even through the first three and a half years yet. The fourth seal. And when he opened the fourth seal... I heard the voice of the fourth living being saying, Come. And I looked, and look, a pale horse. It's an interesting... Chloros. 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 Pale. You do some study on that word as it's used, especially in other writings. And it is... It is the color, it's a, it's a pale green, it's like decomposition, decay. What happens to dead things? So, this is a horse, this pale green horse, who is, who is the horse of death, decomposition. The one sitting on it whose name was Death, and Hades was following with him. Now, I've already studied this out. I have my own opinion here. Some people just say, well, that's a general reference to the grave. The word is so prominent here, and because of what happens with, with the fifth seal, and we're not going to get there tonight, but what happens with the fifth seal, to me, this, this speaks of the death of what I call earth dwellers. Lost folks, 
And the world will be full of them. So people are dying and going right down into Hades, the netherworld of the unsaved dead. And authority was given over to them, death and Hades, over one-fourth of the earth. Now, different word for sword here. Are you ready? To kill with the Hromphaya, not Makara, but Hromphaya. Now, Hromphaya was the great broadsword of, of the marching army. So now, what happens is, in some sort of attempt to restore order in the world, armies are sent forth. And they have a license to kill. So armies, I got to tell you something. An AR-15 can't stand up to an Apache helicopter or an F-22 or whatever. Just can't do it. So now the common man comes under attack by the organized armies. 25% of the earth dies in the attempt to put down this rebellion, this worldwide rebellion. How many people are in the world today? Six billion? I can't, we'll use that number because I can't really tell you how many people will leave when the church leaves. But if it was six billion population then, it won't, well, if it happened right now, it wouldn't be that many. Let's say it was six billion. That's 1.5 billion. Is that right? One fourth. I do like old uh, Bumstead used to do. Uh, yeah, that's 1.5 billion. Thank you. So, <laughs> that's a lot of people. That's, that's the whole Western Hemisphere, I guess, or even close to it. One out of every four person is killed when the horse of decomposition and death rides forth out of heaven with the judgment of the wrath of God. Now, what happens... When war is fought like this, the famine worsens, plagues set in, and here the, the, we're taught something interesting, and the beasts, ferion, beasts, unlike zoe, unlike the, 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 the zo, un, it's a different word, <laughs> If you study, if you study out uh, biology, for example, there are some germs and viruses that are categorized into a category. You see, this is such a, 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 a term; it could be bacteria. Or it could be lions and tigers. One guy I read said, I'll tell you what it is. It's rats. 
Rats pose a, a health threat to people more than anybody. So you have all these dead, decomposing bodies and famine and plague. Maybe it's rats. They come from everywhere. Or maybe it's COVID-20 and 21 and 22. You can fit it anywhere in there. But it comes with the famine and the plague. Sent forth by the one who opened the seal. Called forth by his servant, the cherub. And when that horse starts galloping out, nothing can stop it. Now, just about the middle of the tribulation... Twenty-five percent of the world will have died in a cruel fashion. But the Lord's not through. He still has three more seals to break. Seven trumpets to be blown and seven bowls of wrath to be poured out. Before he is through taking it out. On the world that tried to steal his planet and his universe from him. We're going to stop there. And God willing, we'll pick it up there again on Sunday night. It'll be online Sunday night. And uh, we have a deacon prayer time.